God, the words we just sung, that's the posture of our heart right now. We just pray, God, that in these moments ahead that we could truly lay it down so that we could fully receive what you want to impart upon us, God. We just pray, God, that our hearts will be open, our minds will be open, that we would remove any barrier, God, to just encountering you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was a little self-conscious, actually, first hour, because nobody was sitting in these, like, first four rows, and I was, like, all alone up here, and everybody, like, had filled out the entire perimeter. Like, we had just a really strong perimeter going on, so I was, like, preaching in a circle. So, um, hey, guys, I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning, continuing on in James, and uh, we're going to head there in just a second. Uh, I'll never forget the time that I stood up here and got booed on stage. And I don't know if you remember this moment, but it's very, uh, just, it, it's one of those moments you just replay in your mind, you know, it's like it's stuck with me. You get booed on stage, this is not something that you forget. And you guys might not remember this moment, this is a true story, but I stood right here on this stage and the people of Axis Church booed me, all right? And it was right around this time of year, and uh, as you know, during March Madness time, Tensions can get a little high, you know, we have a little bit of rivalry going on, a little bit of in-house rivalry here at Axis Church, and uh, so I tend to have some fun with that, being a Wildcat fan and uh, going to UK, yeah, all right, good, so good, I'm already getting booed again, but I'm also, I, I feel my people out there too, so I, I don't feel completely alone, um, so of course, we're going to have some just healthy trash talking, some healthy banter that goes on. And so among my friends that, you know, were cheering for different schools, one of which being the University of Cincinnati. Where's the UC fans in the house? All right. So see, there's a good, like, kind of mix here. There's some UK folks. There's some UC folks. And uh, that same year, okay, same as it is this year, uh, we were in the same region, which made things extra tense, right? Because we knew there was going to be a face-off at some point if uh, one of those two teams didn't lose. And so I remember that year very vividly, and I just kind of kept my mouth shut as much as I could. I tried to take the heat from my UC friends. And they were talking some serious trash about, hey, when we face you guys, it's going down. And so um, I just kind of like let that roll, you know, whatever. And so it turned out that we actually got to play UC that year. And uh, we were pretty good that year. UC was not as good that year as they are this year. They're much stronger this year. And uh, so I felt pretty good. I felt pretty confident. We go into the game, and I'm just kind of like, it's all good. And we won that game. And so I happened to get the opportunity to preach that very next Sunday, the day after, right? So the wounds are fresh, and I thought, you know, I got an idea. So I, I, I wore a jacket up on the stage. I walked up on the stage. I took, I, I kind of like said, hey, give me just a second to settle in. I took the jacket off, set it down, and when I came back, I had this big Wildcat shirt on, and the crowd booed me, right? I had a couple people celebrate, but overall, it was just like a, just a sense of rejection. And so I just want you guys to know I remember that, all right? I remember that moment. And uh, who knows? We might get another opportunity this year to see that very same showdown. And so um, the truth is, though, I don't regret it. I, I would do it again. That's, that's the truth, all right? I would do the very same thing again if given the opportunity. Now, the truth is, there are a lot of things in my life, and uh, you can probably say the same is true for you. There are a lot of things in my life that I do regret. There's a lot of very real regrets that I have, and some of them are bigger than others. Some of them um, are more lasting in my memory than other things. And we all have these things, right, where we have these moments where, like, I wish I could just have that moment 
back, right? Or we, you know, there's these times where you like wish you had said something a little bit differently and you think about it in your mind, you're like, man, why didn't I say that? You know, that was like so much more genius. What I actually said was just a bunch of like mumbling, like, why didn't I say that? You know, or, you know, get these moments and you like, you sort of fly off the handle and you're like, if I could have that moment back, I would have handled that much differently with this person, right? And some of these are bigger uh, than others. And the truth is, for some of us, we have a longer list of regrets than others. And we're just like, you know what? I've piled up some serious regrets in my life. There's some things that I have to just now live with that I know this happened. And so these things become heavy. And what I love is, and what I love about the truth of Scripture and really the truth that continues to emerge as we study James is, in light of all of that, in light of the decisions of the past, in light of the regrets, even this past week uh, that I have, in light of all of those things, because of Jesus, because of the all-sufficient Savior, because of the truth of Scripture, I know that I don't have to carry the weight of those things. I don't have to carry the weight of those regrets on my shoulder because of what Christ Jesus did for me. And that's a truth, man, that I can tell you right now I'm grateful for. Now, yeah, amen to that for sure. That's the gospel of Jesus to say, listen, our past we can put in the past. Um, While there's consequences of those decisions, we can be freed from those things and allow God to work in spite of our bad decisions, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our failures. And I'm grateful for that. And this includes, by the way, things that were done to you that you had no control over, right? That you regret that that happened to you. All of those things can be covered by the all-sufficient Savior. And so I'm grateful for that. Now, it it's, can be one thing for us to initially receive that gospel message and say, you know what, I'm receiving the grace of Jesus. Uh, but what we have to be careful not to do is to receive that initial gift and then pile on regret after that, right? To keep living a certain way or to go back living a certain way in, in which we're now piling on regret all over again. And today, that's a bit of what James talks about, and we're going to discover together if you want to turn to James 4. And uh, what I want to do for you today is I want to work um, a bit uh, backward, all right? I want to think about this a bit backward. And so what I'm going to, the points that I'm going to give you today is these are the ways that you can for sure have regret, okay? So it's kind of, sort of like passive-aggressive preaching. I'm actually excited about it. I'm actually going to work sort of like the uh, reverse psychologist of the day. And the message I'm going to present to you today is how can you be sure to have regret in your life, all right? So here's the point number one. It really comes right out of James. Let's read that section, and then we'll bring some of those things to the surface. So uh, we're starting in verse 13 and into verse 17. Uh, Andrew did a great job last week. Did you guys appreciate what he had to share? Um, yeah, he did great. And um, so he he finished off uh, in verse 12. We're going to pick up in 13. So go ahead and turn there. It says this. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and we will spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears uh, for you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. And so the first thing that you can do if you want to pile on regret in your life is this. Wait until tomorrow. Wait until tomorrow. 
And we have this mentality, right? This doesn't seem too uncommon, what he's saying here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to go do such and such, we're going to spend a year there and trade and make a profit, right? And he's not saying planning is a bad thing, by the way. What he's saying is feeling like you're in control of your life to that level to where you're guaranteed tomorrow, that not only is a quick way to regret, uh, but it's also a quick way uh, to find failure time and time again. And so for those of you that say today or tomorrow we will do this and this, You shouldn't say that, right? And so if you want to have regret, the first thing that you should do is wait until tomorrow. Just have this mentality, this way of thinking that says there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. I've always got tomorrow. James is saying, no, listen, your life is a mist. One, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us know we will have tomorrow. And number two, um, life is a miss. Even if we have tomorrow, in the grand scheme of eternity, we're talking about just a little blurb on the radar here when we talk about our lifetime. We don't think about life that way. We think about this is really the time, right? This is, this, this is the time, live it up. But when we really think about in light of eternity, right, this time that we have here on earth, we should be very intentional about this mist this time that we live in the mist. And so the first thing you can do is, is wait until tomorrow. This past week, I was writing this message, and I got distracted on Facebook for a little bit. And uh, on Facebook, now they have, like, these along the side, like, all these, like, stories, like, trending stories. Trending stories, which I guess means just lots of people are clicking on these things. And so one of the stories that popped up there, um, I was, like, totally, like, drawn to and you got to be careful because like a lot of it's like clickbait and you're like don't do it don't don't click on it it's going to like download a virus onto my computer and don't fall for it right don't fall for the headline but here's one of the headlines that I read on the side of my screen on a trending story this is what I read I'm like man I'm not an astronomer but that can't be good like the first thing I thought is, it's fake, it's not real, that's not really happening. And then I thought, like, okay, I'm not an astronomer, but an entire solar system to hit Earth? This is a problem. Like, we should be ready for this. And then I'm sort of, I, like, I still don't believe it, but in my mind I'm thinking, like, what, how would the rest of my day change if, like, that was going to happen tomorrow? Like, the solar system is going to hit Earth. There's no way we're surviving that. I mean, maybe if a meteor hits Earth, some of us would be lucky. This entire solar system, none of us are walking away from that, I'm pretty sure, Okay. And uh, again, I don't know these things, but I'm just, so in my mind, I'm like, well, how, what would I, how would my day go differently? What would I do with the remaining time that I had if tomorrow the solar system is going to hit Earth? And so that's what I read. Here's what it actually said, the headline. It's slightly different. Massive solar storm to hit Earth tomorrow, right? So the solar system's not hitting Earth tomorrow, but then I'm still like, what does that even mean? Like, I have no idea, and there's all these things about magnetic fields and messing with our telecommunication systems and all these things, and people are, like, freaking out about this. And, uh, but anyway, I just, it just got me thinking, like, what would it look like if we really, like, if Earth ceased to exist tomorrow? Or if life as you know it ceased to exist tomorrow, my question would be, what would go up on your priority list in the remaining hours of life? And what would just fall right off of the list in the remaining hours of, what wouldn't matter anymore? And I could tell you some things that would matter. Here's some things that we would do. If tomorrow, was, tomorrow wasn't going to come, which, again, he's saying life is momentary, we're amiss, we don't know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. That, that might stress some of you out. It shouldn't stress us out if we're in the right place with God and we're doing the things that we should. But here's what he, so here's the first thing we would do. We would get right with God. 
if we really didn't know that we had tomorrow, you can't tell me that wouldn't be at the top of your list to say, man, I am not right with God right now. I need to get right with God. I need whatever that takes. I need to make sure that I'm in right standing with God today if tomorrow's not coming, right? We all know, we have that embedded deep down in us that we know that if things were coming to an end, which is why you hear a lot of times um, of deathbed, you know, moments where people connect with God because they know they're not getting tomorrow, and so they better get right with God today. What James is saying is none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, so you better think about today in terms of it being your last day. And the truth is people that live like that actually live better. When you really start to think, you know what, it's about today, you start to live better. So we would definitely get right with God. There would be a line around that baptistry. There would be recommitments like, God, i, I got to confess some things, and, and let's talk about the way my life has been, and I'm going to reroute some things. That's what would happen if we really believe what James is saying here. But the truth is, even as I say that, some of you are like, well, we're going to have tomorrow. Even as I say that, some of you are still thinking, well, yeah, I get it. I get the scenario, Josh. Solar system's not hitting the earth tomorrow. We got tomorrow. And so we go right back into what James calls arrogant, evil thinking. We go right back into that and say, oh, I got tomorrow to do that. I got tomorrow to do that. And so the first thing you would do, and man, I hope you're thinking about these things. One, are you right with God? We would get right with God today. The second thing we would do is we would get right with other people. There's some people where we have damaged some relationships. There's some people that maybe it's the, the, the shoes on the other foot. They've done something to damage a relationship. But if we didn't have tomorrow, we would be having conversations with those people so that we could live out the scripture that says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We'd be stepping up and saying, look, listen, you wounded me. Or, hey, I wounded you. I got I to gotta make this right. Right? We wouldn't be continuing to compound bitterness in our heart. We would be getting right with other people if there wasn't tomorrow. The third thing we would do is this, we would make sure that everybody else was right with God. Because if we truly believe in the conviction of our heart that life's going to end and not everybody's going to heaven, if we believe that, we better be doing everything that we can in these hours today, in this life, this mist of a life that we have, to make sure, man, I want everybody coming with me. I want everybody coming to heaven with me. The truth is, life is time sensitive, we all know it. We've all been to funerals. We all read these stories, and now that there's just so much access via social media, we're just like, we see it all the time, right? And we can choose to ignore it, or we can choose to accept the fact that life is time-sensitive. I remember, uh, it's been, gosh, many years now, uh, but it does feel like it was just yesterday, uh, where uh, there was an Easter Sunday, and we already had some plans for Easter, uh, but I just felt like the Lord was saying, Josh, you need to spend this Easter with your grandpa. You need to go and need to you spend this Easter with your grandpa. And so I had to disappoint some other people and tell them I can't come to Easter, but this is something I, I just feel like I need to do it. And so Jess and I, we went out. We hung out with my grandpa the entire day. Uh, we brought Kentucky Fried Chicken, and that was his favorite. We just hung out and uh, just spent some great moments of just sharing with each other and, and hanging out. And I could just tell it just meant so much to him, and it meant so much to me. And uh, what I didn't know at the time, because my grandpa wasn't sick when, or anything like this when, when all this was, uh, when, when I felt like God was just saying, go spend time with him. I, I just felt like God was giving me sort of a tip of the hand to say, you need to go see him. And so I went to see him. I spent time with him. But what I wouldn't know is that would be the last Easter I would ever spend with my grandpa. Not only that, that would be the last time that we really sat down together and had these kind of conversations. And I'm just so glad that I did. I would have regretted if I had that. You know, there's always next Easter. There's always tomorrow. There's always this next day. 
life is time sensitive. And if you want to regret, if that's if that's if you want a sure route to regret, just think there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. But if you don't, you got to live like the psalmist who says, "Today is the day the Lord has made." That doesn't mean we live in fear of not knowing what tomorrow brings, because those of us that have security in a Savior that is 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 done for us what we couldn't do on our own, we don't have to fear a. a solar system hitting the earth tomorrow because we're like we get to live forever as followers of Jesus and so we get uh, to experience this we don't have to live in fear but the truth is that we start to just take every day and say hey maybe there won't be a tomorrow this is the day the Lord has made what am I going to do with this day this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it how do we be glad in it we seize the moment we seize the day we do everything today rather than putting things off until tomorrow today is the day Second thing we, you, want, you could do if you want a sure route to uh, regret is this. Follow your own desires. Follow your own desires. Follow the desires the enemy plants in you. Just follow your own desires. Do things your own way, right? And I don't know how many, you know, for those of you that are young people in this room, and just hear this from my heart. I've tried that. I've done that. And it doesn't lead where you want to go. And there's a lot of people that are older in the room that could have that same conversation. Like, Listen, here's what it looked like when I did things my way, when I followed my own desires. Listen to what a mess of things I made when I did that. And when you hear things like this, you can't take it as, oh, man, they're just, you know, they don't really know or they're out of touch or they have no idea. you got to think, man, this is coming from a place of love. And when they speak these truths to me, it's because they've learned this the hard way. They don't want you to learn it the hard way. They don't want you to have to go through what they've gone through. And so some of you are in a season of life right now where you're just following your own desires. You're doing things your own way. And the truth is, we have in us our, this natural um, just tendency to do that very thing, right? We want to do things our way, right? We want to have control of our own destiny. We want to do things in our own way. But James says, listen, instead of saying tomorrow we will do such and such, what you should say is, instead, if the Lord wills, I will. If the Lord wants it, I'll do it. I want what the Lord wants. What the Lord wants, I will do. You know, I, I can just be honest. I'll be the first to admit. I'm not going to make you guys raise your hand because I don't want anybody to feel like they have to lie and not raise their hand. Because the truth is, all of us can be stuck in our ways. So this probably would be one of those things where we're like, yep, everybody's raising their hand, right? Some of us are more stubborn than others. I'll go ahead and own up to that uh, because if I didn't, Jess could own up to it for me. Um, but the truth is, I can just be so stuck in my ways, and what will happen is, like, we'll have some vision of a way something was supposed to go. Maybe it be a day, or maybe it be a vacation, or maybe it be just whatever. It could be a decision that I had in my mind, and I'm, like, thinking, this is how this was going to go. And so I've already independently, which is already a bad idea, right, I've worked through this in my own mind, and I'm like, I got it. It's cool. We're good. And then I'll go and present that to Jess, and she'll be like, I actually was thinking something totally different, and I'll be like, so now, like, because I, I, I could totally be, like, obsessive about things, like, well, actually. So now I'm trying to convince her, like, otherwise, and I can be very persuasive, and finally, a lot of times the conversation gets to the point where she's, like, she's tapping out just because I'm, you know, out stubborning her, and she, she uses this phrase a lot of times. She says, all right, Josh, you do you. You do you. <laughs> you do, you're going to do what you're going to do, so why don't you just go ahead and do you? Now, Fellas, let me just give you just a piece of advice really quick. When she says you do you, she does not mean you do you. She does not mean that, right? 
Because if I do me, it's going to be even worse than it was before, the fact that I was all stubborn about this very thing. And so when she says, you do you, what she's trying to do is bring me back to this reality that is, you're being selfish, think about the rest of your family, think about me, and let's think about what's best in this scenario, right? And so, you do you. And what James is drawing some light on here is, you can do you. In fact, God's going to let you do you. God gives us free will to do you. There's scriptures that say, hey, he will hand you over to your desires, right? Not because he wants you to see destruction, but because he wants you to wake up to the fact that, man, it's not better over there. It's not better out there, right? And so he does. He'll he'll allow you to do you so that you can realize that doing you was not the right thing or the thing that you should do, all right? That was a mouthful. We got through it, all right? So you can do you, you can make that decision, but it is another fast route to regret. And said James says, if the Lord wills, I will. I want what God wants. Yeah, amen. Rob, uh, it's been now a year, over a year since Rob uh, joined the team here at Axis. Yeah, and um, so, see, they like you, Rob. They love you. That's good. Um, so uh, I, I just remember those conversations has been well over a year, and it, probably a couple years, um, when we first had the conversation, and uh, Rob was really being led by the Lord into ministry, and all these things were happening, and I wanted to engage Rob like then. Like, I wanted, I wanted him to be on our team then, and I was like, man, like, this is so exciting what, what God's doing, and I want you to be a part of our team. So these are all the things that I wanted, and so Rob comes to me, he says, hey, Josh, could you just pray for me? And in my mind, what I wanted to pray is, God, I want Rob to be here, so if you could just make that happen, that would be awesome. Peace, amen. That was like my prayer, right? Like, but Rob said, he, he said, did you pray that, that, uh, that God would do what he wants? I'm like, fine, you know, it's like, so I pray that, you know, I like, I just got to, we, we, we want what you want. And uh, that was what they prayed through that season. And if you know Rob's story, you know that there was a period of time where God was not ready to bring Rob here. Instead, he was developing him somewhere else. We weren't ready at that point, right? The the pieces were not in place at that point. And so God's way is always the best way. And thanks be to God, he did work that out. And these guys are here with us now. And so, um, but I love that heart and I love that prayer. Because the tendency is to say, and God knows, God can sort it out, you know. God can even sort out my selfishness as I pray selfish prayers, right, to redirect me and even through the process of prayer, re-anchor me to what I should actually be asking for. Uh, but that should really be the heart of our prayers is to say, God, I want what you want. If you want it, I will do it. I want to step into your plan in the way that you want to carry that out. And and here's the deal. Let's just, uh, I want to try to just draw this in for just a second because, you know, for some of us, our desires are very diverted from God's desires right now. And uh, you know that if you just acknowledge, you're like, you know what, that's true. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing me. I'm doing my own thing. Um, the way that you get to the place where you're actually wanting the things God wants, where you can actually honestly say that and said we should say, if the Lord wills, I will, you've got to fall in love with Jesus. And for some of you, you've got to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And really, for all of us, we've got to get to this place day in and day out where we're falling in love with Jesus. We're drawing near to Jesus. You want your desires to be more in line with his, which, by the way, is the best plan for your life. It's the plan to greatest abundance in your life. Not necessarily the plan of least resistance, but it is the plan of greatest abundance in your life. If you want that, then you've got to start getting closer and closer to Jesus so that he can reveal to you the desires of his heart. 
And what you'll find as you get closer and closer to Jesus is you naturally want what he wants in your life. You naturally can pray that prayer and mean that prayer, which is, God, I just want what you want. So you can wait until tomorrow. You can follow your own desires. And the last thing you can do if you really want to uh, just see a whole lot of regret in your life is you can fail to do what you ought to do. You can know what you ought to do, but you can continue to fail to do what you ought to do. Because for many of us, we've been around long enough. We know what we ought to do, right? But if, if we want to continue to find ourselves in a place of regret, what we'll do is we'll fail to do what we ought to do. And James, he doesn't pull any punches when he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I mean, he pulls out the sin word to say, listen, because a lot of times we like to sins just that list the whole the things you don't do, like that's just all that stuff. But what he's saying is if you know the good thing that you ought to do, the way that you ought to respond, the way that you ought to show up, that good thing that you ought to do, if instead you choose complacency, that's sin for you. And so if you continue to just know all these things that you should do differently, but you don't, the Bible calls that sin. And a simple translation here is, again, if we know the good we should do, it's on us to do it. It's on us to do it. I, uh, this past week, we watched um, the movie, The Lorax. How many of you guys seen it was on this weekend, like on TV? And I sort of just saw the tail end of it. Uh, and uh, it's just, a, it was a cool movie. I really enjoyed it. And my son's been learning, like, some Dr. Seuss stuff in preschool. And uh, so there was this cool line at the end. And I've heard this Dr. Seuss quote, but it just really struck me in line with what we're talking about. It says, unless someone like you cares an awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Maybe it's so simple a child can understand it, right? Maybe it's so simple that this is, listen, we got to start caring more. It's on us to care. It's on us as the people of God that know the good that we ought to do to, to care, to respond, to do something, right? Rather than being the people on the sidelines, you know, saying, you know, somebody really ought to, right? We do that a lot of times. Like, we can identify the thing. Like, you know, somebody really ought to, and God's like, you? How about you? Like, let's, let's start with you. Why don't you go, right? Rather than somebody ought to, the people that really make the greatest impact in the world, you know what they say? It's on us. It's on us. It's on me to do it. It's on me to do something about this. They're so compelled from the inside out that they're like, we got to show up. We got to respond in this way. And you know, the truth is, Christians get a lot of bad press these days, and, and some of it's just unjustified. Um, and, but the truth is, Throughout the course of human history, it's been believers in Jesus with the mentality, it's on us, that have changed things. That have been at the forefront of the greatest movements in history, right? We don't talk about that a lot of times, but that's what's happening. And how about this? During the recent hurricane relief efforts, um, Washington Times, they posted an article and it said this. Christians outpace FEMA in aid to hurricane victims, Right? Christians outpaced anybody else in their response to the hurricane. Why? Because they had this mentality, this, this thing that was ingrained in them that just said, you know what, it's on us. We should be the ones doing something about that. In fact, 80% of the relief came from faith-based organizations, as it should, because it's on us to respond. And I would contend that it was Christians who thought this way that have made the greatest impact throughout history. I mean, when you think about 
causes for children, right? Think about orphanages and the names on these orphanages, right? And who were the people that opened up so many of these orphanages? We think about like our partners today, like Lifeline Christian Music, uh, Lifeline um, Christian, and what they're doing all over the the globe here, and. Uh, just what an incredible work they're doing to care for the needs of poverty and for kids in crisis and so on and so forth. We think about Christians and what they have done over the course of history when it comes to responding to diseases. And so many of these organizations were initially started by people who, by the power of Jesus and be compelled by the love of Jesus to respond, right? We think about the names of hospitals everywhere you go, right? People of Jesus saying, you know what? It's on us to do something about this. When you think about social justice, you talk about slavery, right? Who were those people at the forefront of the movement to say, you know what? This isn't right. And it was the people of God that were responding in that way. One such instance was at a church called Plymouth Church in New York. And uh, it was in Brooklyn, New York. And it was on a key, um, just a key spot along the Underground Railroad. And the pastor there and the people of that congregation had this mentality in his heart. You know what? It's on us. It's on us because there's something that's not right here. It's a crime against humanity. And so it's on us in the name of Jesus to change the tide, to change the course of human history. And so in little, little by little, these churches that were all over um, were influential in reshaping our thinking on these things. And they said, you know what? It shouldn't be so. And Plymouth Church in New York, um, which I watched this. I don't know how many of you guys like to, like, in your free time, watch historical documentaries. Uh, that's me. I, like, enjoy it. Like, I'll, I'll watch the Travel Channel, and so I was watching this story about this church, and um, there was, what they would do a lot of times is not only would they um, just protect uh, slaves that were escaping, trying to escape out of slavery, uh, and give them refuge and care for them, uh, but they were also trying to, again, reshape uh, the the social climate of the day, and so um, they would have people coming in, and what they would do is they would do these mock slave auctions right there in the church. Or they would bring somebody up, and they wanted to just expose the hypocrisy of what was happening. And so they'd bring somebody up on stage, a slave, and they would pretend like it was a slave auction. They'd be describing this person as property so that they could expose just the hypocrisy of all of this. And then they would go full circle and say, how could we, how could we do this? How could we be a part of this? And how could we not be a part of the solution of this? And so one day in this church, there was a nine-year-old girl that came up, Sally Marie Diggs on February 5th, 1860, and she came up on stage, and they did this mock slave auction, and they described her as property, and then they said, they just stopped, and they, like, this is, this is a young girl. This is who this is. Look into her eyes. How can we not do something about this? And so they called the people to account that day. They sent around the offering baskets, and people were throwing in money. They were throwing in coins and jewelry. You name it. They filled up this bucket, and they brought it back up onto stage. And in it was $900, which in that given time is $900 of cash and jewelry, right? People were throwing rings in there and everything else. And that's like $10,000 today. And so in that moment, the pastor grabbed one of the rings out of the, the offering bucket, and he just said, he took that ring, he stuck it on Sally Marie Diggs' finger and said, with this ring, I wedge ye to freedom. With this ring, I wed thee to freedom. The people responded that day, and with all the money that they had gained, they bought her out of slavery. Why? Because they believed that this was the good that they ought to do. And they said, it's on us to do it.
And so as we finish up here, um, we're going to get to to experience something cool as we have Lifeline Christian with us today uh, talking about their child sponsorship program. And uh, so we're going to get to learn about one way that, that maybe we could respond, that maybe you feel compelled or called to respond to do something um, in the way that you ought to do something. Um, and I want to give you one additional challenge, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to welcome our guests. Uh, but here, let's make this simple, right? Because a lot of times we sort of get this vague idea, and we feel this conviction, and we're like, you know what, I just got to be better. And that's like, that's big, right? I just got to be better. And that's the truth is, that's all of us. But I, I want to simplify it a little bit further. I want you to pray every day when you wake up this week, and I'm going to be right there with you. I've started to do this. Is just pray this prayer. God, what is one thing I ought to do today? What's one thing I ought to do today? What if everybody in this church prayed that simple prayer? God, what is one thing I ought to do today? I wonder how many people would be encouraged that week. I wonder how many people's needs would be met that week in unexpected ways. I wonder uh, how many simple conversations would happen that were just the exact conversations that somebody else needed. As we followed God's lead to say, hey, what's one thing? We'll call that person. I want you to forgive this debt. I want you to call this person. I want you to step up in this way. I want you to buy their meal. I want you to buy their coffee. I want you to whatever. What, what is the thing that God wants us to do today? What is one thing I ought to do today? Make it specific, though. Not some vague, again, I want to be a better person. Or I want to get this area of my life together. Make it something you can accomplish in that day. All right? And so, God, what is one thing that I ought to do today? I want to challenge you to pray that, and we'll see what God